And I just backed away from real estate for five years. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm just not going to do it. Fast forward five years later, my younger brother got sick and tired of me talking about real estate so much that for my 30th birthday, he purchased uh, my real estate classes for me. And that was his gift. So next thing you know, I got my test and I told my job, I'm out of here. I had to admit to myself that I failed. Although I did admit it, I didn't want to, I, would, I did admit that I failed. I did not want to admit that I could potentially fail again. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody. Today, we are here with Naveed Musa. We are super excited to talk with him about getting realtors to invest more. Um, Naveed Musa is a serial entrepreneur. He's a coach. He's a mentor. Anybody that's been listening to our show knows we love to kick it off right off with a story. So, Naveed, can you tell us your craziest real estate story or transaction to kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's the headliner. My first property got foreclosed on. <laughs> oh, um, so, yeah, yeah. Then let's get it started. So before I got my agent hat, I was like, I was in a bank. I saw some individual. He's cashing a lot of checks. I'm like, what do you do? So he showed, you know, showed me the house hack. Buy the one unit, buy the three unit, live in the one, run out of the other two. So I did that. Bought a three unit in downtown uh, Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Bought a three unit there and uh, I lived in the one, rented out the two. What I did not know, what I didn't want to know, I should say, I just, I, my pride wouldn't allow me to admit that I, I screwed up, was that um, I had a bad contractor, I had a bad uh, lender, I had a bad loan, everything. It was the perfect storm of fuel. So I bought the, bought the three unit. I should have never been qualified for three unit. My DTI was like at 58% or something like that. I don't know how they got me through. Now, mind you, this is 2000. So this is over 20 years ago. Um, bought the property, lived in it, rented it out. And then tenants were complaining that, hey, this doesn't work. That doesn't work. Um, long story short, I start figuring out I got a shoddy contractor. Right. He was putting in paper in as insulation and stuff like that. I had asbestos piping still downstairs in the basement. How I got approved by the city, I have no clue. You know, so um, I ended up saying, you know what? I'm out of this business. This sucks. I'm done. And so a gentleman basically rented the whole building off of me. And he rented the whole building off me. And I said, okay, fine. I'll make money that way. But my um, uneducated self did not charge him enough money. I just charged him the principal and interest. I didn't charge him the taxes. So although I was getting a check every month, it wasn't enough to cover the whole the whole nut on the place, right? And I screwed up and I know I did. And I went back to him and it just, it just wasn't pretty. And next thing you know, I was like, this is ridiculous. So the lender who had the note, I was trying to talk to him, kind of work out some kind of agreement. Didn't work out. Next thing you know, the property got foreclosed on. And that was, and I was like, you know, real estate sucks. You know, it's all false. Carlton <laughs> sheets, you guys are uh, liars. It doesn't work for me. And I'm not at all, right? So um, I backed away. And I just backed away from real estate for five years. I said, I'm not doing it. I'm, I'm just not going to do it. Fast forward five years later, my younger brother got sick and tired of me talking about real estate so much that for my uh, for my 30th birthday, he purchased uh, my real estate classes for me. <laughs> and that was his gift. So next thing you know, I got my test and I told my job. I'm out of here. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Wait, wait a second. So, all right. So first of <laughs> all, thank you. You know, it's really cool when people are vulnerable with us. And they're, like a lot of the stories that we hear about, you know, drug houses and all that, which is super fun and interesting and, and, and all that. But you came on here and shared uh, an immediate failure. So first of all, thank you for that. Because there's a lot yeah. of people out there that have experienced failure in life. And it has knocked them out of the game permanently. Yeah. So one of the things that you're saying that's hitting me is like, you, you kept talking about real estate. When you were talking about real estate to your to your relatives, was it this grumpy negative, like real estate sucks? Or was it like, you couldn't get it off your mind, like the girl that got away type of thing? I, yeah, it was B. I couldn't get it off my mind because I'm just like, I, so my personal belief is I don't think people mind failing. They just don't know. They just don't want anyone else to know they failed. Right. <laughs> right. So that, that, right. That, that's what it is. Right. So I'm like, okay, I have to admit that I failed. And so I'm looking at this stuff and, and I kept talking about it. Like the girl who got away, I'm like, I could I would have done this better. Would have done that better. Would have done this better. 
And every time I had a job, I would talk, you know, I said, Hey, you know, where are you from? How'd you get a job here? Why would you work here? Whatever. And I would tell them about the same story I told you guys about the real estate experience. But every time I said it, I didn't say it with like a, 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 a crooked face, if you will. I said it with like, yeah, I screwed up. And here's what I should have done. If I did this, if I did this next time, next time. And they were like, why don't you do it? I'm like, well, I don't want to do it. Are you sure? Cause you sound like you were going to do it again. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And it was, a, a, I had to admit to myself that I failed. Although I did admit it. I didn't want to, I, would, I did admit that I failed. I did not want to admit that I could potentially fail again. Yeah. Right. So that was my thing. Right. So I'm like, Oh, like, you know what? I don't want to try it. Let me just go ahead, turn my brain off and get a, a job that just says, put the box over here onto this shelf and just keep it moving. And that's it. But I kept talking about the processes of these boxes. I'm like, you know what, if I do this a little more efficiently, this, this process could be done faster. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you shouldn't be here. You should be upper management or whatever and stuff like that. And and I was like, well, when I had my real estate property, you know, I wish I would have done it this way and stuff. And everything, and I mean everything, went back to real estate every single yeah. time. Dinner, barbecues, uh, Christmas parties, Halloween, whatever. It was real estate, real estate, real estate. And yeah, that, that was it. It was the one that got away. You know, it was the one that got away. I really want to unpack this because I think unpacking this could provide a tremendous amount of value. Because it seems like you had, like, it, this is a really fascinating story to me. You have this desire to succeed, this desire to overcome, the desire to problem solve all these things. And yet you have this failure inside of yourself that is like, no, no, no. So it's like this gas and break happening at the same time. <laughs> so, and Tim, help me on this. Like, let's unpack this story because I think there's a lot of people that experience this. And, and we've interviewed a number of people that have had some failures. But, but really like, let's dive deep into unpacking, like what, what were the competing thoughts and then like, what led to finally saying, okay, like, I'll just do it. I know you got bought the classes, but, but walk us through the, that, those thought processes. So that was the thing. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to go back to fail again. I failed once. I knew I screwed up and I didn't want to experience that again. And I, and God bless family, at least my family, God bless my brothers. Um, so I'm. I come from a large family, all boys, no sisters, no girls. And um, they're all very encouraging, every last single one. Uh, and I didn't want to do it, but I also couldn't let anybody else down, right? It's easy. We let ourselves down in 30 seconds, but we cannot let anybody else down, right? That's like, oh, no, you know, you need me to be there. I'll be there for you. So when my brother paid for that course, I'm like, crap, I'm not going to take this class and I can't fail him. I can't let him down. So I was like, why am I running from, why am I running from a passion? Why am I running from something that's deep in me? Stuff like that. And I kept going on to that failure. I kept holding on to it. Yeah, although I, I can admit it day in and day out, but I, I couldn't let it go. I just could not let it go. And then I had to shake it off. And then him give him purchasing that class as, as, a, as a birthday gift essentially for me was the push that I needed, the push that I needed to say, hey, listen, you can do this. You got this. Um, yes, you screwed up, but you know, it's, it's a thing. I, and on, on my podcast, I have a, a, an episode called reflect versus reliving. Reflecting is one thing. Reliving is different, right? So what I was doing is reliving that pain. I was reliving that process. I wasn't really reflecting on it. And I had to understand that. I don't understand that although I was talking about it and said, yeah, I would do this differently. That was just, that was just like a, just a real quick face value of it. You know, I didn't really deep dive into that, but once I understood that, okay, I keep reliving this, right? Cause when you reflect, you reflect on what it was, you make the changes and you implement those changes. When you relive it, you just relive everything. It's the motion, the emotion, especially the emotion involved reliving something. That emotion is extremely strong. And so I had to shake that. I had to get rid of that portion of it. And I think him person that class gave me the, the, the boost that I needed the, you know, Hey, listen, you got this man and we got you. So let's, let's do this. And, and you know, it's, it's an investment for him that's paid off, right? Obviously he's done very well with that investment. Um, and, and, and I'm glad I thank him for him every single, every single year, uh, my birthday's in February. So every single year I send him a text message saying, just thank you. He knows what it means. 
And I just had to thank you every single year to him because of that, because I, I honestly don't think I would have done it without him. Absolutely brilliant. I love the reflect versus relive analogy um, a whole lot. So, I mean, I'm really curious, right? So you were already kind of reflecting because you had already identified all the things that you did wrong. Um, so there was still this fear of failure that was holding you back. You said your brother kind of pushed you over the edge, um, but I still imagine there was fear along the way that oh. you still had to overcome. So I would love, love to get into whatever mindset tactics and tricks that you discovered along the way to overcome this fear of failure. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, although I reflected, I didn't implement what I was reflecting on. So ultimately I was still reliving it. What I, what I had to do was kind of step up for, for my family members around me. Right. So I, I'm first generation born in this country from our family. All my family's from Uganda, Africa. And uh, so we're first generation here. I'm first generation rather. And so my, my brothers are having kids, nieces and nephews and stuff. So it's a new world, quote unquote. And everyone's kind of looking at me like, hey, we don't know life in the U.S. the way we knew life back in Africa. So we're using Navid as a template. You know, so Navid, you've got to go to college. Navid, you got to do this. And I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you guys want me to do because it's a lot easier to be told what to do than actually spearhead your own, your own path. And so I'm like, okay, go to college. I'll go to college. Dropped out of college. Go to college again. I dropped out again. Go to college. Dropped out again. So I'm like, yeah, maybe I should go to college. I waste a lot of money. And so now my nieces and nephews are looking at me. They're all looking at me. They're saying, well, hey, if, if uncle, Navid uncle isn't going to college and doing this stuff and he failed his senior year. So for those listeners who don't know, I failed my senior year in high school. I went back and repeated it. And so now there's this educational piece in this, like, hey, he's not doing these things. Why do we need to do these things? Now, my parents and my brothers, they don't know what to do because they're like, oh, crap. Everyone is looking up to you for these things. And you're doing the everything opposite that we have. All my brothers, most of them went to college. Got, you know, some of them are doctors and all that kind of good stuff and engineers. And I'm just like, I, that's just not me, right? So I had to step up, right? So my father always told me, there's, there's, my father was dead. He always said, either you step up or step aside. That's it. There's, there's no other, there's no other choice. Either you step up or you step aside. That's it. So I had to make a choice, and my choice was to step up. So when I decided to step up, it was, and it was, it, it, I can't, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm answering this to your listeners. That, it's, it's that fear of failing my family. That was my driving motivation. I couldn't fail them. I couldn't. There's no way in hell I could fail them. You know, me failing myself was okay, but me failing them was not okay. So that was my driving motion. That was my driving. Say, okay, listen, I have to do this for them. You know, I have to do this for them. Don't get me wrong. As time went on, I learned selfish and self-care. They're two different things. Um, and that to me was a little bit of, uh, was more, I, it was more like I gotta be there for them. So something or self-care, self, was that word? There's selfish and there's self-care. Self-care, thank you. Yeah, right, sorry. So with self, selfish is just that. I do something for the greater good for myself. Self-care is I know if I give to me and be the best version I am, I can pay it forward for the greater good of humanity. Right, so there's your difference there. And so to me, I didn't look at the global picture or anything like that, but the global picture for me was my my nieces and my nephews, right? That I love them to death. You know, in our, our culture, our family, we all grew up in the same household, like 15 of us in a three bedroom place and stuff like that. It was just very, very close knit. So I was like, I can't let them down. I cannot, I just, and that was my driving force to keep going, keep going, keep going. I hope that answers your question. Um Oh, it does. Okay. I, mean, I right. kind of want to dive deeper into selfish and self-care, but I'm going to ask you another question first. Yeah. Um, so obviously you mentioned that you came as an immigrant and we actually speak with a lot of people that come from immigrant so families. I was actually born. So I'm they first. Get a lot of pressure. Yeah. You were born here. I was born here, but my so family is first generation. Correct. Gotcha. Yes. But yes, you yes. got the, you got the immigrant influence. Oh yeah. Right? So typically hard pressing to get a job. Like you said, be a doctor, be a, a lawyer, be something that, you know, 
society is going to respect. Yes. And it seems that you always kind of felt like you were just a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> or let's say it's the reverse because um, a round peg would fit into a square hole. Um, <laughs> it's a really big round peg. Like, 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 it's, a, it's pizza, a, round like peg. a pizza in a square yeah. box, right? There we go. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Um, <laughs> um, so anyways, and you have this unemployable shirt on. So it feels like you always had this. You just always felt like you didn't fit in, but you always felt like you meant you were meant to be something. Is that correct? That's Did absolutely I right. That? I never fit in. I've never fit in from day one. I never fit in from my school because um, my house environment and my exterior to the house environment were two different things. Inside the house, very old school. Again, you know, I, I'm uh, I'm a practicing Muslim. I, I mean, I'm a Muslim practicing Islam rather. And um, in the household, very strict, very rigid. And here's what it was. And this is it. We don't deviate from this. This is the box, right? This is it. Now I'm going outside. We didn't we didn't come have all this money. We, we, you know, the, the projects was like three blocks from where we live. The bus stop was the projects there. So I had all my friends who lived in the projects and stuff like that. So that's what I knew. That's what I knew growing up and stuff, growing up and stuff like that. So um, to me, that was more fun. Because think about it, we spend, we maybe spend what? I don't know, 10 hours in the house. And out of those 10 hours, you spend six hours sleeping, four hours awake, right between the afternoon and stuff like that growing up. And then you spend six, seven hours in school. You spend more hours in school than you do at home. So the school's environment was shaping me more than my house environment was shaping me, you know, from that standpoint there. So that was the conflict, right? That was a conflict. I, I'm hanging around people, you know, hanging at the boys club and everyone's a good house is good. No issues at home. No issues with my friends. Everything is fine. But there's two different dynamics because a lot of my friends grew up in a separated household, single parent household. Almost all of them did. And I didn't know that. Like they would tell me stories about, yeah, I'm going this weekend with my dad and this weekend with my mom. And I'm like, wait, what? What are you talking about? Where are you doing this weekend? I'm going to my cousin's. Every Friday, we go to my cousin's house. We hang out there. That's every Friday, right? So as they're bouncing around, going to different people's homes and visiting, we came here as my cousin, my aunt, my uncle, you know, they came here, I should say, all together. And we lived like four miles apart where their aunts and uncles are all over the country. We're like, we're going four minutes, four, four miles, four miles. That's it. That's all we know. We don't know outside of PA, right? Initially. And then, um, so it was kind of weird for, for me. It was kind of weird to see that. So I didn't fit in in that that respect. I didn't play sports. We were not encouraged to play sports. So I didn't fit in with that crowd. Um, there was no going to the movie, sleeping over at your friend's house. So I didn't, so the social life wasn't really there. So I never, never fit in. I just didn't. So, and, I, and, I did, and I was trying to. I was trying to figure out where do I fit in? Do I fit in at home or do I fit in with my friends? It's more fun with my friends, but... It's also cool being home. So I had, in my mind, I had to pick one. I had to pick one and I couldn't make that decision. I just couldn't make it. So I, I was always bouncing back and forth, back and forth. Um, but you're right. You're right to my, I just never, never felt that I fit in anywhere. Gosh, man, what, a, what an interesting feeling to have and a tough one too. Um, and, and I'm trying to reflect on that dichotomy because it like i feel some of that's true for me too so i i think i'd like to come back to this but i, I definitely want to expound a lot more on it seems like a framework that you're you've built or at least are alluding yeah. to the reliving to reflecting the selfish versus self-care so on and so forth would you actually tie those two things together that's like how my mind's going right now which is like is reliving selfish versus reflecting is more along the lines of self-care. So like, cause what I'm thinking is, is like, is reliving a selfish action because you're coddling yourself from having that fear? Like, can you expound on some of this framework? That's, uh, I, so I never thought of it that way. That's the first time anyone's ever asked me that. So that's actually great. So thank you very much. Um, I would say reliving is selfish. Um, reliving is selfish for sure because, so let's take a step back. When you relive something, it's almost that woe is me, right? Whether it's good, you know, woe is me. Oh my gosh, I did this. I can't believe this happened to you. Boo hoo. All right, that's fine. 
and you relieve it. And then you, you stay in that point of sorrow. So that is selfish from that point. Where if you reflect on it, reflecting can be a little bit different because if you reflect on it, you're reflecting on it, but then it's step two of reflection, implementing what you learn from your reflection. When you get to that part, that's the self-care part, right? Because I can reflect after this, this part, this interview is over, right? I can reflect, man, did I say the right thing? Can I, I should have, you know, should I not going to have cursed or whatever, you know, go back and like stuff like that. Hey, next podcast, I'm going to ask them, can I curse? Can I not curse? I will ask whatever I want, right? So I think re the framework as you're, as you're alluding to Matt is, um, it was for me without me knowing that it was for me, right? Because although I'm very committed to my family, I need to be committed to myself first, right? Because if I commit to myself first and be 110% for myself, then I can give them 100% of me. So that is self-care, right? Reflecting and then say, okay, I don't want to, I don't want to relive those mistakes. And here's how I'm not going to relive those mistakes. We're going to re we're going to implement these changes here going forward and let's, let's make us everyone stronger and go from there. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and thank you for asking me that because no one's ever, and I never thought about that, but that is a great question to ask and stuff like that. Um, I do think reliving is a form of selfishness uh, and where reflecting is a form of self-care as long as you can implement what you've learned from that reflection. Yeah. And so essentially both start from the same action. Yes. Well, both, both are, Hey, I'm going to go back into a past event or a past series of events. One is with the specific aim of, I'm going to go here to learn something so that I could be better and being mm -hmm. better is going to have an impact on someone other than myself. I mean, it will impact myself, of course, because as I become better, my life will be better. I'll be more joyous and fulfilled and all these things, but it's ultimately aimed right at, at the betterment of others. I think you had said earlier. Whereas mm -hmm. reliving is like, Hey, I just want to go to this old place yeah. to relive this feeling to, you know, get the dopamine hits or whatever sort of chemical hits that make me feel good. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Re reliving. And I think I've been using it in a negative context, but you're right. It's just, you know, so woe is me. Or if it's like, Oh man, you know, like the, you reflect on a high school football player, dude, you haven't played high school football in 30 years. You're no longer the star <laughs> right. running back. Get over it, right? right. That that's touchdown you made in the in the national final in the state championship. Great job, but that was thirty years ago. Start reliving that moment, and that's and that's the thing. You're right. It's that rush we get from reliving it. And okay, fine if you want to go with it, but don't stay in that moment because what are you going to get from it? Whether that's it's good so or funny. bad or indifferent, what are you going to get from it? You know? Yeah, that reminds me. So I'm not going to call anybody out on this, but one of the funniest jokes I've ever heard in my life was somebody reliving their experience. They had told a funny joke and they were not a particularly funny person, but they had told a funny joke and we laughed hysterically. And then like a year later, they came back and the, the guy was like, you remember that funny joke I told? And that made us laugh hysterically. And so that is like in our archives of jokes to pull out. And uh, yeah, thanks. That just reminded me of that. So that is, that, 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 that's actually hilarious. <laughs> do you remember that joke? Uh, well, yeah, I do. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> A year ago, uh, anyways, <laughs> it reminds me of, of, of um, married with children too. Oh, um, because wow. specifically what you said, Al Bundy kept talking about that, that yep. four touchdown championship game he had. That was his whole life. Couldn't stop talking about it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, so I mean, really, what we're talking about here, right, is like a victimhood mindset versus taking responsibility. And it's also in line with, you know, the scarcity versus abundance mindset. So, I mean, you know, once you align your mindset on the correct path, which is clearly taking responsibility and living in abundance, yeah. and, you know, your life can change pretty quickly, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, once I, I'm this, I don't, I don't make sound like it's a broad statement, but we are scared to admit that we are good for, that we are meant to have success. Like, does that make sense? We are scared to admit that we deserve good. We are scared to admit and embrace that we deserve to live this freaking amazing life um, that's out there for us. And, and and depending who you are and how you were raised and where you come from, I think part of that is that you feel bad because the people. Um, so let me let me back up here. The students who I have that I coach, um, 
a lot of them are from an urban area. And what I see from them is, and, and I can relate to them, what I see from them is they have their friends that they came up with, but their friends are stuck in this particular mindset. And now they get with me or someone in my mindset and we're trying to elevate them, take them up, take them up, take them up. But there's this hold back here like, well, I got to bring my boy up with me. I got to bring my friend up because they were with me through thick and thin. When I was going through this and going through that, they were they were there. And I got to bring them up. But then that's an internal struggle that they have. And it's kind of like, well, listen, it's okay. You deserve this life. Yeah, but I'm trying to get them to understand. Maybe they're not meant, they're not meant to understand right now. And it doesn't mean that you're better than them or you're too good for them. It doesn't mean you're being disloyal or anything like that. It just means that you are ready for the next evolution of your life, whatever that may be. And they're not ready for that. And that's a really big struggle a lot of people have. You know, that, that fulfillment, like you had in you know, that betterment of ourselves, that to take on to that next, right? I, I look at life as staircases, right? One step, two step, three step, four step. Okay, next level. One step, two step. Okay, next level, right? That's what it is. So that's how I teach it. Like I envision, I said, listen, these are your steps. Boom, boom, boom. These are the steps you guys have to take to get to that next level of the building. I'm glad you want to bring your friends with you and your family with you. That is great. But if they're not ready, it is not your responsibility to make them ready. You can't force them for that. You can just tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to be doing this. I would like you to come with me. You know, it'd be good if we can do this together. Let's do it. And if they say no, or if they, they start giving you static in return, like, you know, well, hey, you know what? That's not meant for me. This isn't you. We're supposed to be over here doing this stuff. Then you just got to go. And that's easier said than done for a lot of people because they feel that's commitment to those who grew up with them. And that mentality that they've, it's all about circles, right? The circles we run with. If you're with the proper circle, you go this way. With this circle, you go that way, whatever. But that whole betterment phrase you had said, yeah, that, that's what it is. If, if, you can, if you can tell yourself, I deserve a more abundant life. I deserve a better life. I have earned I've earned the right to be here in this room at this table. You have to embrace that. That's, but that's a very, those first steps are very hard for a lot of people. Very, very hard for a lot of people. Oh, definitely. I could totally relate to that. Like once I started doing really well, I, I wanted to tell everybody I knew. I was like, hey, I could have you making six figures in like a year. This is so easy. Yeah. Like, let's do it. And then nobody wants to do it. It's like, no, I don't want to work that hard. I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to work that hard? I was like, <laughs> I could totally relate to that because, you know, if you're trying to sell something to somebody that doesn't want what you're selling, you're just beating your head against the wall. Yeah. Um, so what you said is totally, it's so, so important. You know, you don't have to ditch your old friends, but you know, you need to make new friends if they're not going on the same path that you are, yeah. um, because you need to be talking to like-minded people. Um, yeah, create buckets Yeah, is what I tell people. Just create buckets. Right? So the first step is mind, you know, do, do a mind dump. Take all your stuff that's on your mind, put it in a piece of paper, don't care what order it is, just dump everything out there on paper. And then once you've done that, then look at this piece of paper and say, okay, well, listen, this goes over here, this goes over here. And then talk about the people in your life. Put them all on a piece of paper and see who you can talk to about. There's friends who you get with and you talk about nothing but, but like, you know, uh, food and cars and, 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 you know, vacation, that's fine. And there's friends you talk about, we just, you know, maybe gossip or talk about other people. Then there's a friend that you, that have you discussion and you talk about, oh man, you know, I was looking at the stock market today. I was reading this article today and stuff like that. And that's fine. You just, I'm really sorry. I don't, people just keep texting me here and they never text me. <laughs> um, you get all these people, you, you get all these these friendships that you create throughout the years, you culminate. So put them in buckets. If this is the people who you hang with, you go to the cigar lounge with, you go golfing with, you go out to dinner, that's fine. You put them in this bucket. If this is the bucket that you talk about real estate, BPOs, uh, cash flow, uh, uh, um, multifamily, you put them in that bucket over here, right? Like I have family who I love to death and I would trust with my life, but I won't trust them with my business. I won't. I won't trust them with my business. And that's a very hard thing to admit, but once you can admit that, that's like, like a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. Say, so listen, we can go to the dinner table. We just can't go to the settlement table. It's just two, two different tables, you know? That, that, that's how I separate them and stuff like that. So, and, but once you can admit that, I think, like I said, that's a breakthrough. 
And uh, something I live by is I rather you li- I rather you get pissed at me for me telling you the truth than you get pissed at me for lying to you. Hundred percent. Right. So 100%. that's I think those are all stages of life that as you get older, put your friends in buckets. Don't be afraid if they get pissed off. There, they're not. Why am I in this bucket? Why am I in this jackass bucket here with a whole bunch of leaks and water in it? Can we put in me the gold bucket? Put me over there. You didn't earn it. Your mindset hasn't earned you to the gold bucket over there. You want to, everybody on my team has to read um, the book by Darren Hardy, The Compound Effect. Compound Effect, yep. Yep. Amazing book. I'm sure you guys have read it. And if you haven't, I'm sure you will. But let me tell you right now, you have to read Compound Effect. And once you get to a certain level, then you have to read Rocket Fuel. Uh, right? Yes. A, right. You have to read Rocket Fuel and stuff like that. Those are two books I tell everyone that you have to read. But they're like, oh, I'll read Rocket Fuel now. No, you're not ready for Rocket Fuel. Right. You're not ready. Get you're it. what? Yeah. I love that. You're, you're yeah, not you're not ready, ready for it. No, you're not. You're, you're not, not ready. ready. Yeah, because yeah, I know what you are. You're 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 not a visionary. You implement. That's what you do. That's why I hired you. You implement. You you earn your stripes, and then later on, if I see that you're kind of stuck there, then you can read this book, and then we can see what happens and goes from there. You know, and if they if don't they want to deal with that. Enough there you go. About that comment, and they have the drive behind them. If that is the comment that triggers them, they were meant for it, right? And if there not. Right? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. 100%. Like <laughs> these lessons have taken me so many failures to learn. And one of the things that like my, so my old sales manager, like he had a philosophy at first I was kind of offended by, but then like I grew to accept and now I love, and now I think it's like the best thing ever. Like he had like a catch and release philosophy. I mean, he was like, and that's why he was one of the greatest sales managers I've ever been around, <laughs> which was essentially like, you're a top performer or you're not here. And He, the the thing that was interesting to me was like, he wasn't like a nurturer in the sense of like, I'm going to take a lot of time to get you there. It was like, Hey, if you're not coming in and performing almost right away, like I need to release you to your greatest calling. And so I like that. I like that. I like how he phrases that. And and like, here's a tie that's happening in my mind. I'm curious to get your take on it. So hanging on to old relationships to me in this frame of this conversation seems like hanging on to your glory days of high school, right? Like you're reliving, right? All of those things instead of moving and reflecting and moving on. And so not only are you doing yourself a huge disservice because you're not becoming the best version of yourself, but you're not allowing your friends to develop more friends that want to stay in that mode, right? Like, cause that's what I started realizing when I had to start distancing myself in relationships is like, I'm actually preventing them. There's only so many hours a day. I'm preventing them from having a buddy who's going to be more into those video games, more into all that stuff that maybe I did as a kid, but that I have no real desire to do now. So I need to release this, you know, and I also love how you talk about buckets, like understanding that with this person, I have this thing and I can enjoy this thing with him. And so that's one of the things that I I love is I, I try and understand what's, what's the point of relationship I have with this person, keeping it at that. And then once I get to a point where my time constricts me, I usually start phasing out the lowest buckets, you know, the ones that have the least common connections, the least connections to my goals. That's because right. it's just, you got 24 hours in a day. Yeah, right. And I, I love how you put that. You said you you release them, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, and for those who are listening, how do you release them? You don't respond to their text messages as much. You don't respond to the phone calls as much as they say, I texted you the other day. Oh, I totally forgot. I mean, I got it. I just forgot to text you back, stuff like that. Really? Yeah, because I was working on this. And by the time I remember to text you back, it's 9.30 at night and I'm done. I'm mentally done. I'm I said bedtime at, at that point. So I'm really sorry, stuff like that. And at, at a point, and, I, and I've done that to people. I've done that to family members and stuff like that, where they just get upset. And they're like, man, I text you. You never answer your phone when I call you. And I had to get to a point where I said, I'm really sorry I didn't get your phone call. I, I, I saw you call me, but you didn't leave a message. And I, I have a lot of things going on, so I, so I forget. So if you leave a message, I'll call, I can, I'll call you back. But if you don't leave a message, I'm going to forget you called me. And they, they were getting upset at that. I'm like, there's a voicemail. Voicemails are meant for a reason. Right? Or text message for that matter. I don't care. But if you call me and don't leave a message, I'm not going to call you back. Because to me, I'm like, I guess you're still alive. Everything's going good. Right? Because I, I got no message saying that, you know, that you're dead. So I can keep doing what I'm doing and keep doing what you're doing and stuff like that. And it sounds crude and cold. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. But there are just some people who don't respect your time. They just don't respect your time, right? They think that you're there for them just so they can go, oh, I had such a bad day today. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. What do you want me to do? 
Especially if I give you advice and you don't take my damn advice. And you're going to call me the same thing four months later. But like, oh, what did you do when I tell you? No, I just, I thought about it and it's not the right thing. So you want to stay in the mud and get chittered on. Not a problem. Go ahead. You take care of that yourself. I mean, that's it. It's, it sounds easy for me to say it now. I'm 47 years old. It's easy for me to say that now. Um, but it does take time for people to get this. So those who are listening, I don't want them to think, well, damn, I, I can't do that. I can't be that mean. I can't, that's just, that's just wrong. It's not wrong. It's not wrong. And it's not being mean. You're being honest with them and you're doing yourself a disservice. You're holding yourself back from an amazing life you could be having by just admitting some truth, some really hard, cold truths within your life that maybe you're enabling this person. Maybe you're giving them too much 100%. of a time you're not, and you're not giving yourself that time. That's time taken away from you. Listen to someone who want to bitch a moment with the same problem they've had for a year. Think about it. That's ridiculous. And after two or three times, like, like that person needs help. Like, like go to go to someone you're paying because then you'll feel the pain <laughs> yeah. of the fact that you're continually reliving this problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So no, it's just I go back to that comment. We just are scared to say, you know what? I deserve this. I deserve the house, the car, the vacation, the free time, the freedom of saying, guess what? Cancel my appointments because I'm gonna go ahead and sleep all day today. You know, that's what you want to do. We this this freedom, right? Freedom Chases Podcast. This is what we're chasing. We are chasing this freedom stuff. I'd rather people chase freedom than they chase money. Right? If you chase money, you're chasing one thing. You chase freedom. Whoa, yeah, it's a whole different. Man, listen. When you guys hit me up and I saw that, I was like, freedom chasers. So hold up. I was like, I like it. I, first, first, I was like, first, like, is this a political thing? Is this like some political party freedom chasers? Right? That's the first thing I thought. I'm not going to lie. Right? But then I was like, hold up. I said, Freedom chasers. I'm like, okay, I can, I can, I can get down with this. this. That's what it is, right? A lot of people think, oh, if I had this, if I had $10,000, I could do this. If I had a thousand bucks, I can do this. If you can't manage 500 bucks, how the hell are you going to manage 10 grand? Exactly. If I give you a thousand dollars, I say, we're going to do a thousand bucks. I'm going to go pay my bill. Yeah, well, there you go. Then you're always going to be paying the bills the rest of your life, right? So, you know, so freedom chasers, by the way, kudos, I love the name. Um, Thank you. It's, it, it, it's that's what I want people to chase is their freedom. Yeah. That that's it. Hundred percent. So let's move on to what you've built. So you yeah. came. You didn't come from Uganda. You were born here, but you yeah. had an immigrant mindset. You're not fitting in. You're pursuing things. It sounds like you know. You take your first stab at real estate. It fails miserably. You go through this reliving versus reflecting. You finally get to reflecting phase, your family supports you. They give you the push you need. The rest yeah. is history, but let's yeah. get into some of the details of that sure. history. Like what is that journey to where you are at today? What does that look like? So I got, I got licensed and uh, one of my family members was investing already. He said, listen, I have a realtor buddy who who's here. Uh, he could use some help. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I work for him. I'm doing BPOs. Actually, ironically, we're talking about BPOs. I was doing his BPOs for him, right? He's the foreclosure king. So I'm doing all these BPOs for him. And the agreement was I would do the BPOs for him. And at the end of the month, I would get compensated for them. One month goes by. It's time for payday. The dude disappears for like a week. And I can't find him. I can't find him. And I'm commuting an hour and a half one way every single day to and from where I live and go to his office, right? Because I'm like, I got to make this work. Right? No pay. I got no income coming in. Zero. And I'm driving a car, a, a, a European sports car that takes about 60 bucks a day in gas, right? So I'm living off of credit cards and max and those, those mofos out. My wife doesn't know any of this, by the way. So babe, don't listen to this podcast. Um, so I'm maxing out everything and I'm, I'm going through all this stuff. It's time to get paid and sure that I've got, I'm going to get paid. And he disappears. And when I finally see him, he goes, um, you think you deserve to get paid? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I, I did the work. He was like, what you don't know is when you left, I had to redo everything you did. I'm like, what? All, the, all your BPOs are wrong. You screwed everything up. I'm like, well, why, why would your dumbass wait 30 days to tell me? If I'm screwing up for 30 days, why would you wait that long to tell me? So that was BS number one, right? So I'm like, all right, cool. I turn around and I, uh, he kept bitching and moaning about uh, his competitor. So I went right to his competitor. That very day that he didn't pay me, I went to the competitor and said, listen, here's what I do for so-and-so. 
And he was like, are you what? And so I told him, and I said, tell you what, I'll move my license from there to here. And to prove it, if you have any BPOs right now, I will do them right now. I don't even need to go to the properties. If you did the pictures, I'll do, I'll do five BPOs absolutely free for you. Right? I'll knock them out right now. If they're good, you, I'll transfer my license over. I'll be your guy. If they're not good, I'm done. I'm out. And he was like, okay. I did them. And I called my wife up. I said, hey, babe, uh, I got some appointments here. I want to stay late. She said, okay, cool. And I don't know, maybe like two hours later, uh, the broker looked the broker on the brokerage, looks at it and says, he was like, damn. I was like, oh, I did screw up, you know? I'm like, damn. He was like, no. He said, these are perfect. I'm like, are you serious? He said, these are dead on. This is exactly what I wanted. I was like, so now what? He was like, nothing, you're hired. He was like, fill this out, get your application done, give me the 20 bucks, to transfer license over. We did all that stuff. I came over and rest is, that was that. And I learned from there on how to do BPOs. And I learned from that how to build a team. So to break that down, right? So that was in 06 or 07. So let's break that down. Throughout the years, I've only known foreclosure real estate. I, if you, you and your significant other want to go buy your rancher home with three and a half bedrooms with a with a bird and a dog and your two and a half kids, I'm not the one to. You don't call me with that. I'm not going to find you the property. I'm not patient enough. I know I'm not. I'm an aggressive guy. I'm a fast paced guy. I'm a numbers guy. So, but you look for investment property. I got you. I can take care of that. However. I didn't want to leave any money on the table. So I was like, okay, I'm getting people, family members and friends who I grew up with, went to high school with, are saying, hey, Navi, can you help me? Find me a home, find me a home, but not an investment property. So I'm like, all right, how do I do this? So I went to my broker and said, listen, I'm getting a lot of people asking me to help them buy houses. I don't want to do that. I tried it once or twice in the past. It was just too slow for me. I showed you four houses. You didn't pick one. You don't want to really buy a home. Like that was my attitude. If I showed you four houses and it has your criteria and you didn't pick any of them, you're not a real buyer. I'm out of here. That's it. Right? Not a good attitude to have. I'm not going to say it was the best thing, but it's what I was comfortable with. So I said, okay, how do I leverage these leads coming in? So I went to my broker and said, listen, here's what I got going on. I got these things, but I got these BPOs I'm doing for you. I got some listings coming up, some REO stuff and some short sales, but I don't want to leave this one in the table. So he goes, okay, I got this new kid who just came in. He's fresh out of the guy's real estate license. And um, I think we could use one, or you could use one on your team. I'm like, team, what team? And he's like, oh, that's right. We're going to create a team for you. I'm like, oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. So he puts him onto my team. He slides him over to me essentially. And I'm giving him the leads. I'm giving him the leads and stuff like that. And he's a great agent. He's a great real estate agent, real tour to the core. That's exactly what he was. No doubt about it. So now I'm building this team, right? This Navi Musta team of, I've got my foreclosure business. I've got my retail business, if you will, over here. And everything is churning and going on. Now those are buyers, right? And now the signs are going up and they're seeing the phone number. They're seeing the signs. They're like, hey, I have listings. So I'm like, well, I do foreclosure listings. I'll do a regular listing. Wrong. They, that, was, that was horrible. I tried it. I sucked ass at it. I'm like, nope, ain't happening. So I was like, okay, I need a list agent. I need a traditional list agent. So here's what I did. I was going to go to my broker, but I said, let me talk to, to my buyer's agent. I said, do you have anybody that you could recommend? Because most brokerages, right? If you bring somebody in, they give you a referral on the downline and stuff like that. And that's how we were set up too. So I was like, listen, let's bring, why don't you bring somebody in, into your downline? That's a list agent. So that way you can get residual income off them. Right? Because I was a big proponent of everybody eating. I don't need to make all the money. Everybody got, if everybody eats, everybody's happy. So I'm like, if you can bring somebody in on the list side to be a list agent, you'll get the residual income and I'll feed them the leads on the list side. And so that way they get residual from the house off you and I'll get residual income because they're on my team anyways. So we did. He picked somebody. It wasn't on the first try. We found a couple people kind of went to ebbs and flows of that to get that working. Um, I think early on we were talking about everybody wants to work till it's time to work, right? And that, that's what's when they really know if they're going to work. So now I have to now I have a list agent. So now I'm doing my foreclosures. I have somebody doing buyers. I have somebody doing traditional listings. Everything's going pretty good right about there. Um, I. 
basically take that and then now we're 2008 hits and we're getting smacked with BPOs and we're getting smacked with foreclosures. We're getting smacked with short sales and lenders didn't even have a short sale process. Back then, there wasn't a short sale process in place. It was like, give this and give that or write me a new statement every 90 days of hardship. Like it was just a mess back then. So that was taking up a lot of my time where I couldn't do the BPOs. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to drop the BPO money. How do I create a BPO system? Right? I, there was no software back then for BPOs. There was nothing. There was spreadsheets and Excel and that was it. No Google Drive or anything like that. So, okay, how do I do that? So my friend introduced, told me to read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. Um, and he that introduced me to VAs, virtual assistants. And so he was like, listen, uh, I will find you a VA for you. So he did. He was, it was someone I was in high school with. Uh, same mindset, but he was in the W2 world. And he said, hey, listen, I have this. Uh, he was in IT, so he already had contacts overseas already to begin with. And so he goes, hey, I have this one girl here. You can just hire her directly and she'll do your BPOs for you. So for those who don't know, virtual assistants are usually just uh, their assistants virtually. You know, never really meet them per se in person. Everything's done online. So I have this virtual assistant. And now I'm introduced to the world of VAs at this point. And so now my VAs are doing my BPOs. So I'm going out and taking the pictures, giving it to her. She's uploading it, pulling my comps and stuff like that. And that evolved. At first, she wasn't pulling the comps. She was just taking the, uh, uploading the raw data and copying like the, you know, the, the schematics of the home, essentially, the, the raw information. And then I would get the comps for her and make the adjustments and stuff like that and go from there. So now I have list agent, buyer's agent, BPO being done. So I can still work on the short sales and stuff like that. Um, as we're going through all this, this growth, if you will, I'm now getting married and I'm like, I'm, I'm married at this time, about to start a family rather. And I'm like, I can't keep commuting an hour and a half. I just, I just can't do it. You know, it's not, it's not going to work. So I had to move back to where we lived essentially not stop commuting. And I went to a local brokerage and I had to start almost all over again because my buyer's agent, my list agent stayed where they were at. But the virtual agent came with me. Um, so I was like, okay, that's what we'll do. And um, I had to I had to find another list agent, had to find another buyer's agent. But to be honest, well, yeah, let me ahead. pause you real quick. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, first off, I mean, I could relate to your story on many levels. Um, I also started off on the REO side and the BPO side. <laughs> um, so, I mean, my journey was fairly similar, though my REO stuff was um, through another broker. Um, but, you know, like you, I much prefer to talk with an asset manager than a retail seller. Um, one brilliant right. thing that, that you've done, um, you've, you've managed to specialize roles um, and you really get the best person in their place. So, I mean, I'm gonna keep saying this forever. You get your aces in their places and your business is gonna grow really, really quickly. <laughs> um, uh, what I wanna get into, um, this is kind of way back, but your first bro or your second broker Mm -hmm. Sounds like he was a fantastic mentor. Amazing. Not only was he like, this VPO was great. And then he's just like, boom, we're going to set you up with this guy. We're going to make you into team. So like, that's rare. Um, <laughs> so very, you're absolutely right. Very, very rare. Let's talk about very how rare. he influenced your career. Yeah. Oh, I met, and we're still friends to this day. To this day, we're friends. We're still on all social media and stuff like that and, and everything. So um, I, he was amazing. He was a brand new broker. He was a top producer to begin with. And you're absolutely right. I, I And um, I talk about it a minute and I apologize for that. Um, he is such a, he was rough around the edges. Don't get me wrong. We did butt heads a certain time, but I had to realize that he was growing as a broker owner as I was growing as a REO agent at the same time. So he was already an REO agent for years and getting a lot of stuff. Um, but he was kind of in a different role. He elevated himself to broker owner. So he needed someone to kind of take the reins with a younger, younger set of feet and, 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 and grit, if you will. So that's why I stepped in. It just stars align, right? Great place, great timing and stuff like that. Everything kind of just worked out that way. And he understood and respected the value that I brought to the table. And he understood that although it was his brokerage, you know, him and his wife, it was their brokerage. He also understood that it, it takes a village, if you will, right? And so he was like, okay, 
here's what you're going to do and here's what you're going to do. And the first time after I had joined his, his, his brokerage, he was going to a conference and slash vacation. So he's like, hey, listen, I want a conference for four days and then vacation right after that. So I'm going to go on for like 10 days. And he gets myself and like four others in the room. This is where I knew, okay? At this point is where I knew, I didn't realize it, but he made me realize that, damn, I've made an impression. Again, we, we don't acknowledge the life we deserve to live, right? So this was that moment. He had a whole bunch of agents there who were doing a lot of other BPOs and doing some, some foreclosure work for him and stuff like that for a good year or two before I even came on board. When he was going away on this, this trip for 10 days, he put us all into the room. He's, I'll never forget it. He's standing over here on, on my right. I'm here. Other guys, there's like one, two, three, four, there's five of us. And uh, he's standing by me here and he's talking to them, facing in this little semicircle, if you will. And uh, he's saying, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. When I'm gone, da, da, da. He's not telling anybody what they're going to be doing. He's just saying what needs to get done. When he's done with this, he taps me and he goes, and he goes, he said, you got it? And I was like, yeah, you want this done, this done, this done, this done? He was like, no, 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 no. You got it? And I'm like, wait, what? And he was like, you know what needs to get done. Yeah, you just told me. Okay, but do you understand? You you got these guys? And so we're all looking at each other. And I'm like, wait a minute. I said, do you want me to do this stuff? He was like, no, I need you to direct this stuff to get done while I'm gone. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> that was it. And then everyone leaves. And I'm like, his name is Bob. I'm like, Bob. Bro, are you sure? He said, he was like, yo, he was like, I've built this business for a very long time. He was like, I wouldn't just leave it to anybody. He was like, I'm not leaving it to you, but these next 10 days when I'm gone, he was like, don't screw up. I'm like, okay, Perfect. thanks. <laughs> you know? And so that was it. He leaves. The very next day, I go to a picnic, play football, and I bust an eye vessel. So I have blood in my eyes, stuff like that. And so now I go ahead and I'm just like, and I, I didn't show up the next day or over there. They're like, where are you at? Wait, everyone's freaking out because I'm not there. And I'm like, I'm at home. I can't see. I had this eye patch on this by or whatever. And we don't have FaceTime or none of these things exist back then. You know, so I'm calling in and saying, here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. And then I do go in like a day or two later. And then we sit down and we just like crank all this stuff out. And that was my moment. That was my moment to let me know, look, you're ready. Give yourself the credit. Give yourself the credit that this, this mentor that you have here has done right by you and he's giving you the shot. Don't screw it up, dude. Just don't screw it up. And so I thank him to this day. I thank him for everything he's done. I thank him for understanding. I thank him for not acting like a legit traditional or stereotypical broker. Yeah. I mean, you, an unpopular opinion, I don't know how much. I'm, just, I'm assuming this isn't live podcast. This is all pre-recorded. So recorded. If, the, if I can't say this, please edit this out. Brokers are pimps. Realtors are the prostitutes for the brokers. Okay. They <laughs> pimp us out. Right? They, they legit, they pimp us out, right? And we, we go home, we go out on the street, we get the deals, bring it back to the house. They get their cut and we go back on the street, get another deal. <laughs> They're pimps. And we're the prostitutes of it, something like that. That's... <laughs> As a broker, I got to say, bro, pimping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Right. And it ain't because then you got to handle all the divas. Well, I did so many deals. Can you give me a different cut and structure? You know, I have this many Johns. Well, well, well hey, you know, because he, he's out before me over there. But that's and he didn't act like that because when I did leave, right, when I left to go to different brokers, because I was moving back home because we're starting a family. I told him, I said, listen, I can't keep doing this. We're going to start a family. This is not realistic, you know. He said, I get it, man. I get it. Um, he said, where are you moving to? And I told him. And he's like, oh, we don't have a franchise out there. I said, I know. We don't have one out there, stuff like that. So, And I said, I don't got the money saved up to start a franchise out there anyways. He's like, okay, well, uh, best of luck. If I could be of any help, and that was it. And that was it. Like, he wasn't like, oh, you know you know how they get. Some, some not, not all, Tim. Going to exclude you from the conversation. But it's how brokers get upset because you're leaving. You're leaving. I mean, you, that's money. No, you're not making the money anymore. So they get bitter. You're not going to succeed over there. You're going to da, 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 all this stuff. He didn't do that. 
He just said, when you get there, let me know where you're going to be at. Give me your zip codes. You know how the REOs, give me your asset. Let me know. I'll talk to the asset managers and I'll see if there's no preferred agent in the zip code. We'll put you in the zip code. So he's still giving me business, although I'm not making him a dime, not a dime because I'm no longer with that franchise, but he still didn't care. You don't find that very often. You don't. So I really, 100%. I, I got, I got lucky. God paid me back. However you want to phrase it. You know, I, I it, it is what it is and I'll take it. I'm not going to complain. 100%. What I want to make sure we get to is you are teaching agents to become investors. And that's like near and dear to our heart, our mission, because as agents, both Tim and I have got into the investing game and it's what's allowed us to be free, hence yeah. the name of the podcast, et cetera. So can you describe one, what took you from this role of being an agent and running the BPOs and all, all this yeah. business to being an investor? And then what would be your top one to three pieces of advice for an agent and why they should be going into investing. The reason why I did it was I was at a settlement table and I sold a house to a gentleman and 30 seconds later, he flipped it. It was a wholesale deal, essentially. It was a double close. And he, and he made like, I don't know, 15 grand on the deal. I'm like, wait, what, what, what is this? So then I was interested to wholesaling. And so that's my light bulb went off. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's not a realtor, but he made more money than me on this deal. So I'm like, what? I did all the work. I got paid, but I didn't get paid. He got paid. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. So I was introduced to wholesaling at that time. And then I got to thinking, this is that, you know, that reliving versus reflecting. I reflected on the moment when that gentleman who, who was supposed to pay me for the BPOs who didn't pay me and that pain that I felt that, that, that damn, I did all this work. I didn't get compensated for it. And I did everything I was supposed to do. And I didn't want any other agent to have that feeling. And you can't have that feeling unless you have some sort of freedom to, towards you, right? So I'm like, you know what? This kind of money that this guy made off of wholesaling, that, that could legit buy you freedom to an extent, obviously. And so that kind of became my purpose, my passion, was to start teaching agents, hey, listen, be an agent. Nothing wrong with that. Get your commission. Nothing wrong with that. There's a bigger picture out here that you guys can make some money on. Right now, how do we do it in an ethical manner where you're not, you know, steering your clients away from a property because you want it for yourself? Right. So how do you balance that out? Um, so I basically built in, in. So I have a course. If you go to nugnusa.com, I have a course called Becoming an Agent Tour. An agent tour is a name that I've trademarked. Basically says an entrepreneur and agent is what it is. And it, it's a five module course. And we talk about and I teach in there very detailed on because of this experience I had with the BPOs and now seeing the gentleman wholesale that we can book ourselves, like treat ourselves as a client. And at the end of my podcast, I say the same thing, do right by the client. And sometimes that's you. If you do right by yourself, everything else will fall into place. And so I teach them that, Hey, listen, yes, you're busy and I get it. And you know, if you're happy, if you're a buyer's agent specialist or list agent specialist, and you don't want to make the time, then either A, book yourself as a client so you can get the listings that are fresh off the market or whatever, or you can get an agent in your office to be your representative and do it that way. And it's not like rocket science. What I teach agents to do is you have access to the MLS. You have access to county court records as it is. So use that data to your advantage, not just for the hot sheet for crying out loud. Look at stale data listings. Look at stuff that's been on the market for more than six months. Look at stuff that's got price drops, like two price drops. Look at those things there for yourself and be like, okay, this is the area I want to be in. And I see this property has been on the market for six months, but not a single price drop. Then that seller is not really a solid seller. They're not motivated. But this has been on the market for six months and I've seen two price drops. Aha. Maybe I can get them to do a third price drop, which means it's just buy it off them directly. And because I'm an agent and I disclose that as I'm an agent, of course, I tell them, listen, I can act as an agent if you want in this manner, I can act as an investor. And because I know all the ins and outs, I can save you a lot of money on closing costs. I have connections there and stuff like that. There's some fees I can't avoid. The state's the state. They got to get their money. The township's the township. They got to get their money. But there's things that I'd be willing to pay for you. The transfer tax, I'll, instead of a splitting a 50-50, I'll pay both sides of the transfer tax. You know, a deed prep free, that's usually on the seller. I'll go ahead and pay that for you, so stuff like that. So those little odds and nuances like that, and I teach all that out in the course, 
on listen there's enough money to be made out there for everybody and for you to for you to keep yourself in the bucket of just buyer's agent i i think you're selling yourself short if you want to stay there that's fine but let's talk about it let's talk about the opportunity to kind of excel yourself into this investor role that is already in front of you and that you can already get with all the resources you have it's no more money out of your pocket and instead of you taking five clients a week, maybe you take four clients a week because you're the fifth client yourself, you know, or something along those lines. And those are discussions that, you know, I, I would have with agents. And it's like, you know, what's your situation? What are you trying to go to? Let's let's reverse engineer it. How do we, you're, you want to get here. Okay, here's the steps. Boom, 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 boom. So we can get you there and stuff like that. Um, but the quickest way is, you know, book yourself first. Book yourself as your own client. If that doesn't work, get someone in the office there. To represent you and stuff like that. And don't focus on the short money. Well, they're gonna they're gonna be getting commissioning and paid. So what? Remember when you started this journey, you sat there and you got your commission check? And I tell them the story I told you guys. I got a you know five grand check for that that deal, but that wholesaler got a fifteen thousand dollar check and I did all the work. You know, so think about that. Yeah, okay, your buyer's agent is gonna make five grand off the deal, but you're gonna make substantially more. So don't don't go into other people's pockets. Just worry about your own pocket, right? Just focus on your own pocket, and that's it. But that's that that that's you know. I hope I answered your question. But that that's it. You know, it's we have all the resources in front of us as real estate agents. We have them all in front of us. We just need to learn to look with a different lens. Real estate school doesn't teach you about investing. It teaches you about how to be a list agent, be a buyer's agent, and be compliant, so you don't say the wrong thing to get your ass in hot water. But they don't teach you the investing side. Love this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so important. I mean, and I think that transition is is smooth in the sense that you're not saying give up your agent role. You're saying keep doing that. But you're just saying slowly add yourself as an investor. And then you yeah. remove yourself. And I think for the agents that take that advice, we give the same advice. You start, you as your own client become more and more of the picture over time to the point where usually you're your only client other than the people you really, really want to serve yeah. because the amount of income, like you give an example, you're making triple the income on yeah. this, this wholesaler made triple the income of what you made. We see examples when people have big flips or big wholesales. Like, I mean, there, there are six figure spreads in some parts of the country. And yeah. a lot of them, when you use tax strategies are tax free or at least tax free for, 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 for life. Right. And so when you compare income, that's not taxed, and it's five or 10 times greater, then it becomes 10 to 20 times greater. And so Correct. now you can go from an agent who's doing 30 to 50 deals a year to an agent that's doing three as an investor, making the same amount of money with that's right. 100 times the life freedom. So like this message is so spot on, which is why we're so excited to get it out <laughs> there because it's concurrent uh, with, with what we believe and what we're pushing out there. So one thing I'd like to know from you, a couple things actually. One is... When you have a billion dollars in the bank someday mm -hmm. in the future and a hundred lifetimes of cash flow, how are you going to structure your life? What's your life going to look like? So oddly enough, um, I don't have a billion dollars, but I have a pretty good life now. And I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to talk about it or, or admit it. Um, I basically work Monday through Thursday from 1030 to about one o'clock and I'm done. I work two, three hours a week or two, three hours a day. Fridays, I really um Fridays on because you guys, hey, are you available? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'm here. Um, I did this, but for the most part, Fridays I don't work. Um, I am there for my children every single morning. I think they have a home cooked breakfast every single day, seven days a week. Home cooked meal seven days a week. Um, their lunch is packed. It's not just bologna and cheese sandwiches. It's it's whatever they want. I go to every like today. I'm going to my son's Halloween party uh, at two o'clock <laughs> for his elementary school. Um, I am there for my kids and every single thing. So right now my day is structured where I work about 10 hours a week, Monday through Thursday. I don't work weekends. I haven't shown a house. I haven't, I have a whole team. I have a wholesale team who does all my wholesaling for me. I have a property management company who does all that stuff. I have not walked into a house that I've purchased in the past two years. I haven't been to the settlement in the past two years. All my settlements get handled by my, my, my team members. My job is just to make sure that um, everybody's happy. So I've got an amazing team. I have a, 
I've got four, four VAs, um, one personal assistant, which I'm changing her title to chief of staff. Uh, I was told yesterday to change her title to chief of staff. So yeah, no problem. And um, I have a wholesale team of seven. I have a property management company of five people. Um, and we have close to 400 doors overall. And uh, it's it's been great. So right now, if I got a billion dollars, I don't think I would do anything different except maybe buy a house in a different country. <laughs> but outside of that, I'm happy, very much happy now. I'm Yeah, I, I can honestly say we just have a mortgage and nothing else. That's it. You know, so uh, that's that's where I'm at. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, <laughs> what a wonderful answer, Naveed. Um, Naveed, we want to sincerely thank you for being on the show and give us a glimpse into your life and into your business. Um, your access information will be in the show notes for anybody listening. Um, and to those of you out there chasing freedom, freedom is accomplished one action at a time. I'm going to prescribe you one this week. Relive your biggest failures. And instead of emotionally attaching yourself to them, reflect on them, figure out what you did wrong. Do so within the next seven days. Hold yourself accountable because if you don't do so, you didn't understand the assignment. And we'll catch you on the next one. Have a nice day.